All right, today we continue in our sermon series as we look at Ears to Hear, Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14 this morning. Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14 this morning. As we look at this, these are two kind of different stories. They look like they might go separately, but I have lumped them together as some commentators do. Some separate them. The reason I have them together is because the word invited is a key word throughout both of these, and it's mentioned nine times in seven verses if you're looking at the ESV. And so in the first portion of our story, we're gonna look at somebody who receives an invitation, comes to a wedding banquet or a meal or something of that nature, and then the second is when you issue an invitation for others to come to a meal. And so the key word pushing these both together is invited. There's also some grammatical keywords that kind of tie these two together. It says, but when you is how they both, or when you is how they both start, and then but when you is how they both end. And so you've got this repetition of words so that it's almost like this is tied together as to how we treat other people well. So we're gonna treat these two together. And here's our main idea out of the text this morning from Luke chapter 14, verses seven through 14. The Christian life should be marked by humility and generosity. Now think about that as we set our minds to the text that we're gonna look at. The Christian life should be marked by humility and generosity. It's not hard to see how a Christian, a person who wants to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, should emulate Jesus Christ. We want to be more like Christ. We want to be more like God. As we seek to be more like Christ, then we should be humble people and we should be generous people. Christ, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and came in the form of a servant, taking on a human flesh so that he then could be obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross. Christ humbled himself, and we are told in Philippians 2, have this mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus. So let me call a timeout here and say to you, I'm preaching the text. I'm not telling you I'm good at this. My flesh, as with many of you, pushes back against humility, pushes into the thought processes that we all have at times where we think about ourselves and our selfish desires and we wanna center on ourselves. We think sometimes about ourselves in such a way that we think we're better than other people. And so whether our focus is I wanna get what I want And so it's a selfish, self-centered attitude. So then we push others out of the way to get what we want or whether it's because we genuinely think we're better than somebody else or more important than somebody else. And so we elevate ourselves and push them down. Humility is not easy for us. Generosity. For God so loved the world, he gave his son, his only begotten son, so that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is a generous God, a giver of good gifts. So if we wanna be like Christ, the Christian life should be marked by humility and generosity. Okay, here's our outline. So we look at the outline of Luke chapter 14, verses seven through 11, it's radical humility. We're gonna see in this story as we read this text and the next story as well, what not to do, what we should do, And then a principle that we want to underline, star, highlight, take to heart, because it's going to help us in maturity as we seek to grow to be more like Christ. Then we're going to see in the second point, radical generosity. What not to do, what to do, 
and then a principle that's gonna mark the Christian life. Now, as we begin, realize I put the word radical in front of both of these because this is not what the world would tell us to do. The world doesn't tell you to be humble. The world tells you to toot your own horn. If you don't talk about your accomplishments, nobody else will. Put your accomplishments front and center. The world tells you to spike the football in the end zone and it's all about me and make your social media such that it's attracting all the attention to you. The world tells you it's all about you and yet the Bible tells us that we are not the center of our universe but that God is the center of the universe. So the Christian life requires a radical sense of humility that the world will not understand. The Christian life requires a radical sense of generosity that the world won't understand. Why is it that you give money to the church? Why is it that you give money to the poor? Why is it that you invest in others rather than keeping it all and accumulating it all for yourself? Because we know we're not living for this world, we are living for the next world, and that God is a God that has called us to be generous to other people without looking for what we're gonna get in return. So if you can develop in your life the habitual characteristics of a radical humility and a radical generosity, you're gonna be more like Christ, but you're also gonna be a witness to a world around you looking at you saying, why in the world are you so different? And your answer is because Christ humbled himself and gave generously the gift of salvation, that free gift to all so that we could be redeemed. All right, let's read our text. If you're able... And willing, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 14, we'll begin in verse seven. Radical humility. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And then he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So then your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. Here's your principle. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friend or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Here's your principle. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help your text to come through clearly through the power of your spirit to all of our lives. And Lord, that we may be reminded that you require radical humility and radical generosity of your followers and that's who you are. And Lord, we thank you today even for your grace that we've announced in this campaign that you have provided generous people who wanna come alongside what we're doing here. So Lord, we thank you and praise you for the good gifts that you have given us for you are a good God. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. All right, we start first with radical humility. 
So he told a parable. Notice how many times the word invited is mentioned here to those who were invited. When you are invited, distinguished in you, be invited, and he who invited you, but then when you're invited, it just continues with this invitation. So this invitation comes, it's repeated, and there's a banquet. Now, to explain how these banquets worked back in this time, to the best of our knowledge, you would have had different couches. These are low couches. These are not sit back, recline, kick your feet out type couches. So picture a U. So perhaps you had the center couch would be back here, and then there would be two couches that would go along the side. And when they would recline at the table to eat, it's a low table, they would lean back on their left arm. So you're leaning back on that left elbow, you're eating food, you're, you're having a good time, you're hanging out with your, with your brothers and sisters, and you're enjoying the fellowship there. The person who would have been the person of honor would be the person on the right and on the left of the main host who's sitting in the middle of that center couch. And then from there, it kind of goes around. So if you are the least important person in the room, you're going to find yourself on one of those U-shaped couches coming all the way out to the very end, sitting in one side or the other side. If you're an important person, you're going to find yourself up here on the main couch or at the very beginning. So you walk into the room. You've been invited to this wedding feast. Wedding feast could be an idiom for just a normal banquet, whatever the case may be. You've been invited to this feast. You walk into the room. You're sizing up the competition. Am I more important than that person? Am I, am I more important than that person? Where, where, do I, where do I need to sit? Is my title better than them? Do I have more money than them? Am I dressed better than them? And so you pick your spot. Do we ever have this happen in modern society? Not with a U-shaped couch, not leaning back on the left elbow at the table, but it happens all the time. You go to a banquet and they say, hey, we're gonna serve food. Are you rushing to be at the front of the line so you can go through the line first and, and eat in front of everybody else because you wanna make sure you get your plate loaded up and piled up? Are you willing to wait and go through the line last and perhaps you don't get some of the best stuff and that's okay because you need to lose a few pounds anyway. It's all good, right? I mean, whatever. You're worried more about other people than yourself. It, it happens all the time. You're riding with somebody. Who gets shotgun? Who sits in the front? You're going to hang out with some people. Let's play video games. Oh, there's only four controllers. There's five of us. Let's see what happens here. I mean, that's an important deal, right? Because then you're just sitting there watching people. You don't, all the time we make little evaluations of how important we think we are or whether we wanna focus on what we get rather than other people. All the time we make these type interpretations. Who's your best friend versus just your good friend? Am I your bestie or am I not your bestie? And all, I don't even know what all those words mean, but whatever, and we all... We all evaluate ourselves and elevate ourselves. And here's a very practical story that's being told. Now, you could take this just as secular logic. Jesus tells the story. Here's your strategy, right? You could take this as this. This is not what it is. But you could take it as this. Here's your strategy. If you go up here and you have judged wrongly, then the person who invited all of you is going to say, no, 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 no. This person is more important than you are. Their title's higher, whatever the case may be. They're going to sit here. You get up and go down there. And in front of everybody, you have to get up and walk down to one of the lower seats. Perhaps all the others are taken. Now you're in the lowest seat. You're the least important person. So your strategy is just go to the lowest seat first, even though you know you're supposed
supposed to be in a higher seat. And then they could come by and they could say to you, hey, come on up to the higher seat. Then you get to walk up and strut your stuff in front of everybody so that you can sit down right beside the main dude, right? It could be a secular strategy for how to elevate yourself. But that's not the point. Because the point's given to us in the text. The point is verse 11, where he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We're not doing this so that we'll get a reward at a feast in this life. You humble yourself because you wanna be like Christ and you know your father in heaven will see when you genuinely do this with a right heart because it's not about this life, it's about living for the next life and that heart of humility is what we're supposed to have and so then the Lord will exalt us in the next life to whatever he thinks is right and just and we will be just fine with that. So what's my biggest problem? My biggest problem is me. I'm old now, so I can talk about sports. But when, when you play sports, how do you react? It irritates me now. I think I probably did it when I played. Team's down 42 to nothing. The team who has no points, some guy gets an interception or catches a touchdown pass in the end zone, and all of a sudden, it's like he is the greatest thing in the world. And it's like, dude, have you looked at the scoreboard? You are getting absolutely slaughtered. And here you are making a big deal at a one nice play in what is an overall purely pathetic ball game. Do you see that? Does it rub you the wrong way? How many of you like somebody that's arrogant and prideful and rubs it in your face all the time? Surely somebody in here likes arrogant pridefulness, right? I mean, at least you respect it if he's got a good trash game and can talk trash and you, I mean, I don't see any hands going up. Because you know what irritates us all? It's when we come in with this arrogant, prideful attitude of I'm better than everybody else and I deserve something more than everybody else. And you know what we all appreciate or like is when somebody's really kind and really nice and loves somebody well and has a humble attitude and always seeks to defer to others. We really like that. We just have a hard time being that person. I have a hard time being that person. The eternal principle If you're not willing to humble yourself, you're gonna be humiliated. If you're willing to humble yourself, you might be elevated. And it may not be in this life, and that's okay. Because we're living for King Jesus. Now, how do we do this? All right, here's here's where I think we do this best. It's when I recognize that I am an utter sinner before the Lord with a sin nature that causes me in word, thought, and deed to do things that I shouldn't do, and yet there's a gracious God who has given his son on a cross to redeem me from my sin when I was hopeless and had no chance. And all the rest of you, well, I'm no better than any of you. Doesn't matter what car I drive, how much money I have, what title it is, if my suit looks better than your shirt, it doesn't matter because I'm a sinner in need of a savior and you are a sinner in need of a savior. My value and worth comes from the fact that God created me in his image and for his glory, and your value and worth comes from the fact that God created you in his image and for his glory. And so I am no better than you, I'm no worse than you, but we are equal in God's eyes. 
So if we're equal in God's eyes, it doesn't matter what the title is or what you wear or what you have or where you come from or what you might not have or what you look like or what you do. We are all equal in God's eyes and that allows me then to be humble and consider others before myself. Here's some cross-references for you because this is a biblical principle that we all need to understand and drive home. Proverbs 25, six and seven. Look at what it says on the screen. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Look at what James 4, 6, and verse 10 says, twice here in James. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, how many of you would say right now, I want more grace in life? Absolutely, two hands up. So if we want more grace in life, humble. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. First Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want that grace. So if I want that grace, I need to be humble. Luke 18.14, which we will come to in our very next sermon that will be next week on Thursday when the trustees are present with us in here has the exact same wording at the end of it because these kind of go together teaching the humility. It says, I will tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So are we more worried about our status or what other people think about us than we are about our character or what God may think about us. Look at verse 12. We move from radical humility to radical generosity. He also said to the man who had invited him, the word invited, linking these together, when you, starts off the same way, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite. Now, this should probably be taken, do not always invite or do not only invite. And he's gonna give a list of four here. Your friends, that's who we like to invite, right? I like to invite my friends. I'm comfortable with them. I can let my guard down around them. I can hang out with them. I have more fun with them. I'm more of an introverted type person. So when I invite a bunch of people I don't know, it's hard to get to know people. I have to actually talk and, and do those type things. And it's just more fun when I hang out with my friends, right? So that's, that's about me. I like hanging out with my friends more and somebody I don't know, or your brothers, your family, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Oh, I got this rich neighbor, so I'm gonna invite the rich neighbors so that they'll invite me back to their house, and honestly, their New York strips are gonna be better than my chicken that I'm serving, so I'll get a really good meal, so I'm gonna invite them, and I'll get a return here out of this. You see what's going on here. Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, here's the but when, similar so what's the negative thing? Don't invite people because of what they're gonna do back to you or what you're gonna get out of it. What's the positive? But when you give a feast, invite, and there's another list of four. So instead of your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbor, here's the four you're supposed to invite. Look at how radical this is. The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So I'm supposed to have a dinner, and I'm supposed to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Here's your principle. Why do we do this? because you will be blessed. They can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You remember in Matthew where Jesus was talking about giving that drink of water? He's like, Lord, when have we done that to you? And he says, when you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. There's a principle here in spiritual growth and in our sanctification that we should be radically humble and that we should be radically generous with others.
This four, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind also shows up in Luke 14, 21 in a different order. There's a feast, so go out and invite them. Who do you go out and invite to the banquet? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Such people would have been excluded from the temple, but we should have open doors to them. So does that mean that people would be excluded from other portions of society? We should have open doors to those people and say, come hang out with us, come to our houses. So how do we do that here at Cedarville? How do we implement this radical generosity knowing that you all are as poor as Job's turkey and you you don't have money to go give everybody and, and all of this? And so, you know what one of the most difficult things to do is? When you are a transfer student coming in in the middle of a semester in January and you arrive on a campus and everybody else has had getting started and they've all developed their friend groups and they're in a rhythm and so they show back up in January and they've got their friend group already established and so all of those meal times are with that friend group and all of those events are with that friend group and then there's this lower number of transfer students that has a hard time finding or maybe commuter students that has a hard time finding that friend group so that they can get plugged into that Christian community that we value so much here at Cedarville because we've already developed those units. So one way might be you meet a transfer student and say, hey, come have, come have lunch with us. Come hang out with us. You, you may not end up liking them. They may not be in your friend group. They may be really weird and that's all fine, but you can invite them, right? <laughs> I was going to ask the transfer students to stay in, but after I said that, I probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't anyway, because that would single them out. That's one way. You meet somebody, and that somebody says to you, hey, I'm just having a really hard time finding friends and connecting on campus. It's difficult. You know, last year we wore masks. We were, we were socially apart. Everybody kind of already has their group. I just don't feel like I fit in. Are you looking to reach out to that person and say, come hang with us? Or are you looking to say, no, 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 no. I like hanging with my buddies, because I've got my friends, and that's it. Now, I'm not saying transfer students are the lame, the crippled, the blind, or the poor. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) We love our transfer students and our new students and all of our students, but what I am saying to you is you see what we're getting after here is perhaps sometimes in our life we should extend our circle of friendship instead of closing it off to just those people who can do something for me. How many of you have never had a lunchtime conversation with somebody from a different country or somebody of a different race. Perhaps what you need to do is expand your horizons beyond Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Kentucky, wherever it may be. You meet somebody. You're like, hey, can we have lunch sometime? I wanna get to know you better. And you have lunch and you ask questions to get to know them to find out what's literally happening in their life and how you could be a better friend to that person. If we wanna break down the barriers of racism in our country, one of the best ways to do that is get to know somebody that doesn't look like you. Get to know somebody that doesn't come from the same background you come from. Spend some time developing a love and a concern and a passion and a care for somebody that's different than you are. Not somebody that looks just like you, does all the same things you do, plays the same sport you do, likes the same video games you do, reads the same books you do, watches the same movies you do, interested in the same plays you do, likes all the same music, 
all the things we click with that we gravitate towards, perhaps on occasion it's best for us to push away from that and say, let me get to know somebody new. Let me expand my horizons or my friend group. Radical generosity. You're not worried about what you could get out of it. We're told to be generous when we get nothing in return. This is a principle all throughout the scriptures. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You give in such a way that nobody else knows that you're giving because it's not about people knowing that you're giving or thinking good of you because you're giving. It's because you're giving out of a heart of generosity to follow your savior. Here's some application thoughts for you. Number one, am I genuinely humble? Now, if you are humble in such a way that you think to yourself, I'm gonna be so good at being humble that I will be the world's expert at being humble and I'm gonna write a book on 10 ways to be humble like me, then you have immediately lost all humility because you think you are the world's best at being humble. Being humble is not so much thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less, thinking of others more. So what we should try to do is have such a concern for other people that we don't really care about ourselves that much. Not, not in a bad way, not in I'm neglecting being good steward way, but in such a way that I'm just concerned about you more than I'm concerned about what I'm gonna get out of this. Uh, am I generous? Now, some of you have absolutely no problem with this. Some of you, in fact, may be generous to a fault in that you give away things that you should probably be using to pay off other things, and so you, you've gotta be cautious with, why are you giving away all that? You, you, you need to pay your own bills and stuff like that. And so there are some people that are wired for generosity that makes it really easy for them. How many, how many of you are like that? It's okay to raise your hand. You just wanna give the world away. All right, now how many of you are like me and you wanna save everything because you never know when one day you may need that 20 years from now and you're gonna remember where you put it. Some of you are lying because I know there are more of you like me out there than that. And so that's, I, it's not, I'm not a hoarder, I'm a saver. <laughs> because saving is good stewardship. I could probably never spend or use everything I save, but I'm saving it anyway. Because you never know when that one day might come that you need that extra paper clip in that drawer with 3,000 paper clips. Or, I'm just kidding, I don't have a drawer with 3,000 paper clips. So part of the struggle for some of us against our own sin nature is to say, I'm gonna be generous. And it's a habit and an activity that you do over time. And when I'm gonna be generous, I'm gonna be generous when nobody else sees it and nobody else knows about it. I'm just gonna be generous. And I'm gonna do it as secretively as possible. And then I'm gonna walk away and I'm not gonna get prideful because I was just generous. I'm not gonna turn around and go, <laughs> I'm better than that guy, I was generous. I just took care of that need. No, because then we mess up on the other one with the radical humility. We're gonna be radically generous and then we're gonna walk away and say, Lord, thank you for helping me to be radically generous. Now help me to be radically humble about it. And that's hard. And that's every day. Because every day we wake up with the temptation from our flesh to pull us towards pride and selfishness. Am I generous? Okay, if I did this radical humility and radical generosity, how would it change the way I treat others? Think about your own life. How would it change the way you treat other people? 
radical humility and radical generosity. Do we love others well? Here are a few things that just come to mind. We just celebrated yesterday Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Do we look at somebody that looks differently than us and think less of them? Different color, different nationality, ethnicity. Perhaps they're poor. Perhaps they're homeless. Perhaps they're on drugs. We look at them and immediately think, at my core, I'm a better person than they are because dot, dot, dot. I'm not loving others well at that point. I don't know their story. They don't know mine. Do we believe that all people are created equal? Do we look at the content of our character, not the color of our skin? Okay, here's another one. What about mask? So on our campus, if you wear a mask, sometimes somebody looks at you weird. On some other campuses, if you don't, you get looked at weird, right? You've been there. You've left here where we're just kind of living life normally and you go out somewhere and you don't have a mask on and you realize that there's 30 other people that have them on and everybody's staring at you like, what are you doing? Do you not care about humanity? Are you wanting us all to die? And they're looking at you and they're thinking to themselves, I can't believe this idiot so much lesser than I am. But on our campus, if you put this mask on and you walk around, do you think immediately when you see somebody with a mask on, what an idiot. Don't they know masks don't help protect against this thing? This thing's so small, it's gonna get through your mask anyway, especially this cloth mask. It doesn't really work. You gotta have an N95 or this is a KN95, I think, but what, you gotta have one of those for it to even bother, right? Oh, well. <laughs> My point here is not to argue with you about mask or no mask. My point here is to say to you, you don't know why they're wearing a mask. Do they have a compromised health condition? Were they just exposed? Does it matter? If they just want to wear a mask, to be careful. But do we look at them and immediately think, oh, they're a mask wearer. (laughs) Or they're not. Can we try? It's going to be hard. Can we try to not care whether somebody wants to wear a mask or not? Can we not care whether somebody has made a personal health decision that may be different than the personal health decision we made and love that person and get to know that person and treat that person well, no matter what they've done, and just be a community that shows radical care and concern for all people because we love one another, because Christ loved all of us, even with our flaws and our faults and all those other things. Can we try to be that community this semester on campus? I'm not hearing anybody agree with me that we can try to be that community. But. All right, last one, I'll let you go. This is for after Cedarville. It doesn't happen to us as much here. It's not as practical for today as the other one. When you go to a local church and somebody walks in the back door and they don't look like you, Maybe they look different, whatever ways, pick your ways. They have more piercings than you do. They have more tattoos than you do. They don't dress the same way you do. They just don't look like you. They look like they don't belong. Is your first thought, oh, hey, look, I need to go introduce myself to that person and make sure they feel welcomed. 
Or is your first thought, what are they doing here? I fear more often than not, our first thought is, what are they doing here? Don't they know where they showed up? And I think our first thought should be, boy, I wanna love that person well. Let's not overwhelm them with 100 people coming up to them all at the same time, but let's make sure somebody is. Hey, I don't think I've met you before. My name's Thomas, what's your name? You wanna come sit with us? Is this your first time here? Let's make sure that we try through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the continual reading of the word, to be people who are characterized by a life of radical humility and radical generosity that points people to the gospel of Jesus Christ for his ultimate glory. Because the Christian life should be marked by humility and generosity. Dear Lord, we're not good at this, it's hard. We have a flesh that pulls against it. We have to battle to be these type people every single day, Lord. We have to battle to wake up, read your word every single day, no Bible, no breakfast. We have to battle for the Holy Spirit to live in our lives with power, to walk with the Spirit, to let your word dwell richly within us so that we can be people who are truly, genuinely humble and truly, genuinely generous. Would you help us to do that and do it well for your glory and not our own? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are dismissed.